Starving for Darkness is brought to you by Rab Lighting. Go to R-A-B-L-I-G-H-T-I-N-G dot com slash dark sky. Greg Eric, go there now, buddy. I will, and I have, and I am. Rab Lighting, 75 years in business. Now, you're talking dark sky. They have everything you need for it. They are the outdoor lighting leaders. They've got floodlights, wall packs, area lights, canopy lights, roadway lights, decoratives, poles, landscape, anything on the exterior Rab has. And it's high quality and great product, and you see it everywhere. And in addition to that, they have the indoor cover, too. They've got everything you need for the inside, lamps, fixtures, kits, everything, recess cans that are awesome. And then to top it all off, the best lighting control system in the business, Light Cloud. Easy to use, great interface, customers love it, the industry loves it, check them out. That's right. You got to go to rablighting.com. That's R A B L I G H T I N G dot com slash forward slash. That's right, forward slash dark sky. That's rablighting.com forward slash dark sky. Right now, here comes Jane Slade, starving for darkness. Hello, Jane Slade. Hello, Michael Colligan. How are you? <laughs> Doing well. <laughs> So a lot of prep work going into this and um, a lot of people getting behind it. Uh, I know that you've seen them. We're not going to say anything because it might not come to fruition by the time the show is launched. But this is the mm -hmm. official first episode of the Starving for Darkness podcast. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. It's pretty yeah, I'm exciting. nervous. I haven't been nervous like this in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have this app on my phone. It's called Time Hop. Mm -hmm. And it reviews all your photos from you for you. Mm -hmm. And actually, it came up in 2016 was when I wrote the first uh, Starving for Darkness presentation um, for a USGBC dinner. And at that time, it was a hunch. And I just kept following the hunch. And here we are today. So that was about five years exactly. What is ago. GBC? Just that, well, US GBC, so they yeah. are the the lead generators. They generate all the lead documentation for lead oh, okay. accredited yeah, yeah. buildings. Lead certified. Yeah, sure. Yep. Yeah, it's time for a lot of those people to get on board with what we're talking about here. What mm -hmm. does starving for darkness? What is it? What does it actually mean when you say that? There's like when you say starving, what you're talking about is there's a hunger, a desire, a need. What are we? Yes. Why are we starving for darkness, Jane? Well, we're starving for it for multiple reasons, biologically, but I think also spiritually. I think the fact that um, as humans, we are always on and the lights are always on and constant brightness, that this is causing a um, well-being issue for our hearts and heads. And I also, but that is a, subsidi a subsidiary problem to what we're doing to wildlife and actually wildlife, the whole natural daylight cycle is, is there and has always been there to basically make sure that the rhythm of life is consistent. It's where life evolved all the way around this natural daylight cycle. And so we have basically eradicated darkness um, at this point on the earth. And you can see that from the satellite images. And, you know, those satellite images are, are they can't see above 3,800 Kelvin or something like that, too, which when you hmm. think about how ridiculous that is, um, and we'll get into that later in the show, but there's also the sense that 
um, you know, you talked about the wildlife. We talk about well-being. The, mm-hmm. the, the fact is that what we've done in the last 10 years in the name of environmentalism has cre- made the problem worse by a magnitude, actually. Absolutely. And that's why, actually, <clears throat> when, I, when we talk about efficiency, it really gets under my skin. Because what I, I think I was talking to people recently and I said, it's, um, you know, if, if you're at a buffet and the, it's all you can eat and you eat that food and you say to yourself, well, I've already eaten my food, I'm full, but it's free, I should get more food. Well, whether you eat that food or not, if you put it on your plate, it's still waste whether you eat it or not. Your Your body doesn't need it. So that's the whole thing with efficiency is that more light, if you don't need it, is still waste. It's actually not more efficient. You're just using something you never needed in the first place. So efficiency has really gotten to us to a place where light doesn't matter and we're just using it wherever um, we can get the credit for using it. And so the incentives have really driven us uh, partly to this place of of light pollution. And, you know, the when you think about the you know, organizations that are involved in incentives and drive incentives, the utilities, and then, you know, the DLC and these people. Um, I think it's time for them to raise their hand and admit this. And for the industry first, right, the industry to first admit it. But I think it's not driven by the industry. I think it's, I think the problem, you know, we started to solve the problem in 2007, 2008. You started to see the emergence of dark sky approved outdoor lighting. There was a lot of talk about that. Shields were being put on wall packs and then the LED lighting boom exploded everything. Mm-hmm. And I really, it would be really nice if the utilities and the other people that are rebate heavy, and I always call them bean counters, like <laughs> the idea of mitigation, like mitigating your way out of anything, water shortages, energy shortages, climate change, mitigation is not the solution. You know, we need clean energy so we can use as much of it as we want to use, right? Um, so the the idea, I think the industry needs to raise its hand and say, we've really screwed something up. And the DLC needs to raise their hand and say, yes, Every single outdoor lighting fixture on our QPL for the last 10 years is the wrong color. <laughs> We're sorry. I mean, yeah. I, it's the wrong color. Every single light fixture. And in fact, they encouraged 5,000K in their and 4,000K in their quest for lumens per watt and their dedication to lumens per watt. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a travesty. I mean, I, I'm, I, and I'm not, I, I, I like the people at the DLC. I think they're good people. This is not a personal attack in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. But it, we do as an industry need to reflect on that for a second, step back from it and say, this is a mistake. You agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think color is, is a little tricky. I certainly think that blue color is, is tending to be more uh, triggering for wildlife because it's, the blue dome of the sky, you know, and, and mostly for most wildlife that will say, um, you know, it's daytime. Uh, so if we're illuminating nighttime as it is daytime, that is not good. Um, I have heard things as, um, such as actually amber light scatters more. So, and so that is to say that, you know, in, 
we've kind of come to the conclusion that amber light is better and it is in some cases or more often than not less triggering, but we don't have all the answers about color. And um, I mean, I'm certainly not wanting to specify any more 5,000 K in the exterior. I think that's crazy. Um, but I say all this to say that there's nothing to replace darkness uh, color aside and that color is not an excuse for light at night. So we, uh, can make it better. And there's a lot of now installations happening with uh, 2200 Kelvin, which is great. But even the story of Kelvin isn't the whole story. In fact, we're now going with spectral power distribution um, because that's more accurate down to the nanometer of light uh, and wavelength. Um, but color is tricky. But I think you're so right, Mike, that if we are not taking responsibility for our past mistakes, there's no way to educate people in how to do correct lighting in the future. And all of this focus on efficacy um, or efficiency is just not helping anything. And we're really just overlighting the planet. I got in trouble on, like I got in a bit of trouble because I said, I made some comments about something where people took it out of context and, you know, it was about change. And I said, we have to be careful with change. People throw that word around as if it's not benign. You know, benign, change is a benign word. It has no mm -hmm. positive or negative connotation. It just means that something is different now because mm -hmm. of an action or uh, whatever, right? Something is different today. And so we want to be careful that, you know, when we make changes that we, you know, that we you know, are we, are we progressing down the path that we want to progress down? And in 2014, everybody in this industry was more light, uh, less energy, higher Kelvin temperature. Everybody's happy. That was the position of the industry. The form, uh, I would say the formal position of the industry, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and as it happens, that's not, that's not necessarily good. And there's all manner of different problems that come that have, have become very, people knew this back then and were, you know, si like they were silenced, actually, I'll say that they were, hmm. it wasn't that they weren't listened to. It's that they were ignored actually. Yeah. yeah. In the quest for efficiency, which was in the name of environmentalism. Yeah. And that's where I take issue with change. If we're going to make a change, um, maybe we should look at uh, incrementalism. Maybe we should look at um, understanding how things work from a holistic perspective. And then perhaps uh, we should make sure, especially when we're providing basically the funds of the public, you know, set out on electricity bills, the rate-based programs to pay for this. If we're going to spend everybody's money on this, then you know we want to we want to be sure that the change is not going to have a whole bunch of unintended consequences that we don't that we're not aware of, and that didn't happen um, with the LED lighting outdoor LED lighting boom. No, and I think you know as I understood it at the time, the the crisis has been fossil fuels and global warming, and so. When LEDs came along, it was this low-hanging fruit to suddenly reduce the energy of buildings uh, because you could easily cut it by 70% or more. And so that was the focus. And then we did that, and suddenly light was just cheap, and you could put it anywhere. 
And in fact, in a lot of cases, we've ratcheted back up our energy use because LEDs are so cheap. So we did, actually didn't completely solve the first problem. And then, and then we created a second problem, which came out of the, you know, out of left field. We did not expect it. In fact, when we talk about previous light sources like high pressure sodium, we did not realize the benefit of that light source. If you've ever stood underneath a high pressure sodium fixture, I remember the first time I ever did, you know, you look gray. There's a no, um, there's absolutely no color rendering. It's just a small bandwidth of reddish orange light. And that did not trigger wildlife to the extent that LEDs do. So it was something that we really did not know was a benefit in our exterior light sources until we started to put almost full spectrum light outside with every color in that content. And suddenly we were triggering wildlife all over the place. And also because they were so cheap to run, we just never turned them off. There was no incentive to. So LEDs really created a new problem that never really existed. I mean, light pollution has been creeping up in the 20th century, sure. But when we got to LEDs, it was a completely different level. And that's that Javon's paradox, right? Where, you know, when you, it's a trap. It's it's a trap. You get into it and the cheaper something becomes, the more of it you use. And mm -hmm. that's the bottom line. Uh, and there's no, there, there's, it's a paradox. It, it, it holds true. With the, the, there's also something that, um, there's a hubris contrasted with naivete in this that strikes me as so you know outside the lighting industry people might be like what are you talking about the lights on the street lights they're too white or mm -hmm. they're too bright or something but if you if you're in the industry it's almost generational like you could not have been more full of hubris and naive to have done what we did actually in the last 10 years you cannot it's not possible you know yeah. let's change everything and let the, the public pay for it, and it's all going to be good. Like, that was the attitude. And, I mean, listen, I'm, 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 I'm Lady Macbeth, man. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm there. I, it's hard to stop now, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It really is. Well, there's this idea that's in all of our minds that we are separate from wildlife and that we sort of control the environment and we are... Um, able to control it in such a way that is completely um, able to control our level of safety. So the way that we're doing that is now just illuminating exteriors at night as if it's daytime, because that's our waking state. That's our most safe state. So we have this idea that we can control our environment and, I, you know, I had previously worked in a lot of advocacy uh, around plastic, and it's that same fear-based thinking and control, which is that if something is wrapped in plastic, that it's clean and that nothing has accessed it. And so we've wrapped everything in plastic. Um, we wrap plastic in plastic. So it, that same thinking of control got us to the plastic islands in our ocean and now we have control and we have basically daytime at night, every night. And that is hubris, that idea that we can control. Because now what we're seeing is the more that we control, the more that we pollute. And then 
the more threat we pose to wildlife, which is threatening to human and human humans and human survival. Well, let's that, let's call that the Slade paradox. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, sure. <laughs> I want to get into safety and fear, but before I do, mm. I want to go back to spirituality and biology, which is something you brought up. Sure. Um, and I'm not a scientist. I sell light bulbs every day. That's what I do. And I do a po- I do podcasts on lighting and, and I'm quite honored actually to be speaking to you and, and, you know, to be the one to, to, to do what we're going to do. And it's going to be super exciting for the, for the, for our colleagues who listen to this. They're not, they're not fans or listeners, they're just colleagues that are interested in a very high level topic. But to me, you know, this separation of spiritual spirituality and biology is the problem in some senses. Mm. You know, I I don't see the distinction. I think spirituality is a biology we haven't discovered yet, actually. You know, (laughs) That, 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 that we don't understand. And, and so when people say spirituality, what they're, it's no different than, you know, um, if, um, what's his name? Copernicus going to the Pope and saying, sit down, big guy. I got something to tell you. What, what's that Copernicus? This, this, the sun does not revolve around the earth. The earth revolves around the sun. I know it can't, it doesn't look like that. So there, there's a moment in which I think, you know, and then the separation of wildlife and us, like the life itself, the, in a way, the, you know, whether you're a hard scientist or you're a deep spiritual person, the earth is like a womb. The whole mm. thing is alive, you know? Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. yeah, there's like, whether it's the magma and the uh, underneath the plates of the, there's like, that's like a blood for the earth in a way, right? If you study plate tectonics or, you know, the way the ocean, the, the jet stream moves and the, the weight of the ice on Greenland and all this kind of stuff. We, we look at this as if it's all technical, but I, I don't believe that. I think there's something else happening and we all know it and we deny it at our peril. And so when, when people say the spiritual side, I don't think there's a difference, but I think you need to say that, Jane in order to, in a way to, to, to get the things off people's eyes, like see better, man. Like the, 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 if turtles are dying the, and that, Oh, that's, that's not, I don't care about turtles. Well, maybe you don't, you know, mm. maybe you just don't know enough about mm-hmm. how the world works. You know what I'm saying? If you knew. Right. And so how do we, I think part of this show is kind of to, for us to, to ask the people what we bring on the show to, to, to bring and Dr. Lieberman was someone we spoke to on the get a grip on lighting podcast, bring that spirituality into this, not as a, Oh, just in case you didn't know, but as a fundamental part of what we're trying to achieve on this planet. Is that crazy to say that? No, I think it's absolutely right. And, and I will say, you know, for me, the number one issue regarding this podcast, the issue of light pollution, is that we are triggering wildlife and s- changing how the ecosystem interacts with one with itself. The, the interspecies interactions are changing because of light at night. That's the number one issue. But historically speaking, wildlife and how wildlife is treated or impacted by human uh, actions has not been enough to uh, change the tides of industries. 
So it's it's not enough. And so therefore, I do think it is very important that we focus on what are the human impacts. And something happens when you sit in a darkened room. The natural daylight cycle is a kind of therapy for us at all stages, all shades of light. And each time we interact with that, we entrain our um, our body systems to be better in tune with the outside world. So when we lack the interaction with the natural daylight cycle, this has a huge impact on our well-being and how we feel. And so I do emphasize sometimes the human benefit of the natural daylight cycle, not only because I think it will incentivize individuals to care more about wildlife, but also I think it'll make them better designers and better people. Because I think that added space between um, your thoughts and having a little vantage by not having everything in constant brightness and illumination, instead of um, being in that bright space, being in a darkened room with candles, or watching the gradient of the sky change at dusk, or making sure that you get a lot of light on your skin in the morning to start your circadian clock. These tunings throughout the day can bring a lot of well-being and balance to a person. There's a there's there's a there's something about the darkness that we retreat to. Mm-hmm. We hide in darkness too, right? There's like a we're afraid of it, but we also it also protects us. Like it's a two-way street, right? You know, like mm-hmm. as a species, we'd have our fire, we'd sit around the fire, you know, centuries and centuries ago as a tribes all over the world and there'd be a fire, but the darkness protected as mu- protected us as much as it is it made us vulnerable as long as we were together in the darkness and we, you know, that we lived in a certain way with each other where we were close to one another. And so the darkness was a time to be close. The darkness was a time to be vulnerable, you know, that was, you know, and, and to be, to make love and to, and to, um, and to cradle children and to be a community and to come back together again. Darkness was that time that that happened. And yeah. during the day we all took off, we ran off and we, we would hunt and play and fish and, you know, uh, whatever dry, you know, strips of venison on racks or whatever it was. But at the dark time we would come back together and be vulnerable and close and want to be protected and that. And that has been lost for totally sure. lost, totally lost. It doesn't happen for people. Not in, not in a week does that happen for most people to spend any time at all in darkness. You're absolutely right. And you wonder why like yoga is exploding, you know, like, like the, and I mean, my wife likes yoga. I mean, I I, I like, you know, I used to do, uh, when my, when my health club was open, they would have a power yoga and I really found it refreshing and I enjoyed it. It was a real, it was a different kind of exercise. And at the end, at the rest, at the end, I really felt that was I could almost lucid dream because of the way it mm-hmm. the way it worked. Yeah. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. kundalini yoga, but it was um like a power, like a real intense like you'd sweat. And then at the end when yeah. you rested for 15 minutes, it was I could meditate way deeper after that than I could at any other time. But that's a retreat to the darkness. Like nobody does yoga under five thousand K and seventy five foot candles. No. No, that's not a thing. Often they do it in candlelight or or dusk or dawn. It's a great time. Yeah. And yoga, traditionally, when you talk about the Indian heritage, um, it's actually 
uh, meant as a precursor to meditation. So you, it is meant to ready the mind for meditation. It's not a, it is a form of meditation, but it's really not the same meditation that they're really trying to talk about. So, so, I mean, I, I, I spent a lot of time and I, I get up very early in the morning. So, um, I get up between two and four. That's when I get wow. up. I'm up. That's early. But I go to bed at eight, nine o'clock. So I sleep my six, seven hours, but then it's like this morning I was up at two o'clock in the morning. Just going, yeah, 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 yeah. But that time is so quiet. It's dark. It's great for meditation and for for reading and that. But, you know, when you look at the most people's lives, you know, what are they lacking? They're lacking human connection. They're lacking uh, a routine. A lot of people can't sleep at night. They're, you know, they're not eating the right food. And all this, all these kind of, they haven't seen the stars maybe in their entire life. They haven't seen the Milky Way. Now, as a Canadian... We have a lot of dark spots, pretty just not that far north of us. Like not for right. that you can get there. It's not that far. Northern Canada is basically a dark sky preserve, the whole thing. You know. Um, so maybe I took it for granted that I've seen the Northern Lights many times in my life. That I've mm-hmm. seen the Milky Way blow your mind away. Like why they call it the Milky Way. I know why. <laughs> like I know why they call it that. Like if you see it like legit, three o'clock in the morning, maybe you've had too many beers, but you're up. And you're looking up at that's incredible, actually. So, but there's yeah. people that will never have never. There's people that have lived their entire life and not seen it actually. And that's a problem not only for the individual, but it's also a problem for the dark sky movement, which, for the most part, has taken on the title of the movement. Yes, we talk about light pollution within the dark sky movement, but for most people, they don't know what they're missing when you're talking about dark skies. So as a term, it does not galvanize the movement. People can live without that. And in fact, light pollution has entered our life far earlier than the loss of the dark sky. In fact, that's the last thing we've lost. The first thing is the fact that my mind is in constant brightness with constant to-do lists and activities from the moment I wake up and turn the light on to the moment I go to bed and turn the bedside lamp off. And that is the light pollution that we as humans are suffering, which is that we're never getting that restorative time of darkness. And I think that the natural daylight during the day is a time to look out on the horizon. But when we retreat and we come home, it's a time to kind of look for that horizon within and see what is your guidepost inside and where are you headed? And without that time for reflection, we're just being, basically our actions are being mandated by whatever we wrote last on the list. And that's not enough reflection. So I think that the darkness would give us a really much better important time uh, to really regard our own thoughts and actions with a little more clarity and vantage. We've seen the power of fear to control people in the last year, more than I've ever seen in my life power of fear and we've seen our leaders fumble around trying to control things you understand what i mean and i'm talking about covid19 and i'm not i'm not going to be on i'm not going to get into that deeply i'm going to use it as an example and when people try to control things that they they can't see or they don't know what's happening they look a little bit ridiculous actually like if you were to you know in a hundred years when people go back and they're 
you know, you're gonna they're gonna play back Doug Ford's speech on COVID nineteen in you know whatever May twenty second twenty twenty or Gavin Newsom or or Lori Lightfoot or Andrew Cuomo or when it, they're gonna be like, man, that guy was blind. He couldn't see any. He couldn't see. He was he was so deep into this control and fear and safety mindset. We have to do something. We don't know what to do, but show them that we're doing something. And right. like you know, this it's like a frenzy. There's a frenzy yeah. to it. You know, yeah. that's like ah. And then you know that they're up late at night thinking about it. That you can see how tired these people are. And God love them, man. Yeah. That's a tough job. I'm not. I, I'm not like. I'm not being. I have my. I have specific criticisms, but I'm not attacking mm. their humanity or who they these people are. It's a. You know, if they all could go back and say, "Do I want to be the governor of X state in 2020?" Maybe they would say no. You know. So, you know, what do you do? But that said. The frenzy and the control and the fear. Yeah. I think that's what we need to address. There's like a frenzy yeah. to this. You know, it's like we need more light. Oh, the insurance company says I need more light. Oh, this needs to be more light. Oh, no, we need to shine it. Oh, but there's nobody there at night. Nobody, we just need to shine it there anyway. But the, there's nobody there. Yes, there's actually a tree there and there's mm-hmm. um, animals living in the forest over there. And, you know, how would you like it if somebody shined that in your bedroom when you were trying to sleep? Right. You know, and, and the, the, the frenzy and the, the uh, denial of consequences has become so obvious to me and that it has its own momentum. And what Jane Slade is saying, and when I, when I listened to with, with, the, with the phrase starving for darkness, is saying like, mm-hmm. you are absolutely denying yourself the lifeblood of you're denying we're denying the world the lifeblood of darkness the retreat the yes. time you know in yeah. a frenzy of control and fear and safety you know what i'm saying right absolutely and there's unbounded industry you know we have all this emphasis on 24-hour customer support and that industry should always be trying to go for the market share and never to let up on that. Mm. And so we've turned this into, uh, you know, a, a race for who can sleep less and who can work more hours in the day. And so, you know, this has really led to the issues on our planet. You know, the planet does not need me to have three jobs. And I'll be honest, at times I have had that many jobs doing different things. So the planet does not need that. In fact, the planet needs less human activity, less human industry. But until, so that's why light at night and uh, is really stopping us. It's just stopping us from finding any type of balance because we're just always working and really churning the gears of industry. We don't need 24-hour customer support for every last product. What we need is emergency support, sure, but not. we don't need to be grabbing market share at 1 a.m. for products that are not about life-saving. Not only that, though, but not only do we not need it, but it's, it's, it's actually ridiculous when you think about it. It's actually ridiculous. Yeah. It is you know? ridiculous. Let's just it, say that. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like, okay, so my wife, uh, so I, you know, I go to bed very early and I get up very early and then whatever happens. And my wife texts me this morning. She goes, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, what's that? Uh, I got a message from Facebook marketplace at 2 AM 
by the we're we're doing a renovation. We're selling some stuff on Facebook Marketplace. My wife has it up, and somebody, you know, texted her and whatever, messaged her over the marketplace at two in the morning. And I thought to myself, you know, there's a frenzy to our lifestyle that has taken over in mm. my lifetime as an adult. It wasn't like yeah. this in 2001, actually. It was not like no. this. It's changed in my lifetime. And, you know, you look at it like someone could be lying in bed beside their spouse, be texting their mother, um, looking for a hookup on Ashley Madison and responding to a Facebook direct message while listening to a podcast. Like, think yeah. about those things at 11 o'clock at night. You, know, you understand what I mean? That's a lot of stimulation. Oh, yeah. There's a, that's right. a lot of stimulation. And it's coming at you via light from your cell phone, right? Like yep. blue light from your cell phone is looking up at you and grabbing you and saying, have this affair. And while you're lying beside, text your mom wants you to text her and you need to sell this thing on social media and your boss just, text, uh, just sent you an email at 11 o'clock at night and I'm listening to Joe Rogan experience or something, whatever it, whatever it is. That's a, like, that's a lot of sh shit firing at 11 o'clock at night or whatever, right? I don't know. Yeah. Can we get out of this? Yeah, and I think people want to. I think ultimately if we can bring the natural daylight cycle back into people's lives, have a little more time for disconnection from devices, light, uh, information, uh, that people will be happier for it. And if we can just get people to open up to this idea a little bit, I think the, the rest the, of the work will be done, which is that people want candlelit dinners. They want to walk at dusk. They, they want to turn this information off, but they have nothing to turn it off to yet. And I think if we can remind people that there are activities that are not based uh, in device or in light, that there are many, many different ways to build human connection um, and meaning uh, in the lower shades of light. I think the number one enemy that is like an appetite suppressant starving for darkness is the safety argument. Yeah, it's the worst. Yeah. It, it, because there actually is times when it is safer to have more light. Like we have to acknowledge that. Absolutely. You know, sometimes yep. people come along and they say, no, that's ridiculous. And it's like, well, I don't know. You know, I mean, there are times, like the reason there's a light there and while we're debating the lower television temperature and the lower this is because humans kind of want that light to be there. Because it right. does do something, right? So yeah. I, I don't, I don't buy into the the idea that you know it, that's a ridiculous thing to say. But I have to be honest with you and say that safety is not a virtue. We have to accept a certain amount of risk in order to live a meaningful life. Like mm -hmm. we can't, like you cannot. Like you talked about plastic. If you wrapped yourself in a plastic bubble, you're going to die. You know, either right. th that's not actually safe. Um, and whenever, you know, how do we conquer the, the idea of more light is safe when it actually does damage? How do we, how do we get that out there to people? It's a really, the, the issue is that, I can explain it to anyone. 
Uh, and I, I feel that it's a legitimate way of explaining it, but it would take about 15 minutes and nobody has that to give of saying, well, you know, the adaptation of the eye, when you over adapt the eye to brightness, then you can no longer see obstacles or maybe a person hiding in the bush um, that you, you really want to create safe lighting through contrast, as well as um, general uh, dimmer light that the eye can adjust to where then you still allow a little space for darkness. And uh, so there are strategies that need to get out there to the public uh, that we could educate about. Um, but it's just, it. the problem is it's not intuitive and it takes time. And I do a ton of education on the topic in my work. In fact, I give the talk Starving for Darkness and Wildlife as Form Giver. I give these two talks uh, on a weekly basis. And for the most part, I will tell you that I give this talk to designers, architects, engineers, and this information is very new to them. And they're in the business of design. Uh, so let alone people who aren't even in the design industry, it's not common knowledge yet. So we have a long way to go in terms of educating the masses, because currently right now, the public at large, this is just not high on the list of concerns. Light pollution, it doesn't elicit alarm. It's just, you know, oh, a light, no big deal, turn it off. It's People don't realize to the extent that we've illuminated the planet at night and to the extent that it's impacting all species on the planet. It's just not considered. But if, if it were known through better educational practices, um, a deeper discussion across a wider audience, we could start to get this information across and then start to use light more selectively. And we would enjoy light more if we did. There's, um, there's a, uh, when I was a kid, okay, we used to go to this cottage and um, I don't know how old I was, maybe seven or 10 or something like that, but maybe not quite 10. I was young. And I intrinsically associate that place with the taste of strawberries because we would <laughs> go there at the end of June and my, my mm. mom would say it's strawberry season. And you couldn't really get strawberries in 1985 all year round. Right, you could maybe my mom wouldn't buy them for fifteen bucks or whatever it was. Right, you would, you'd wait till they grew in Ontario, right? Mm -hmm. And now you have strawberries all the time. Yeah, you know, the, like the the strawberry festival has no meaning. Yeah, I know, I know. You know, the peach festival. Why would they have a peach festival? You can buy peaches all the time. You know, it, right. like some some things don't make sense to people, right? anymore because there'd be a strawberry festival in this place and you'd go there and we'd be all everyone would go pick strawberries and then my mom would make jam and I'd be I eat so many strawberries I'd be sick I'd be covered in strawberries and I would remember I remember the smell of the strawberries I remember the smell of the field I remember touching them and picking them and everything and there was the absence of strawberries that, right that's key yes that allowed for the celebration right yeah so the the yeah. that that absence that 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 rhythm to the to life uh was there it was intact and now you know there's an expectation in america and canada and these rich countries that we should have anything we want anytime we want yep even if we have to fly it from you know chile or in a plane mm -hmm. 
in that, that, you know, uh, is, at, you know, whatever temperature to keep the strawberries perfect and it lands and it's just in time inventory and it's right to your door delivery. Yeah. You know, it's, here's your strawberries and you're like, ah, they're rotting the fridge. <laughs> you understand what I mean? I mean, it, yeah. it, there's something to it when you, when you, there's like, the, like you, the, you can't enjoy it if you don't have these contrasts. Things are enjoyed through contrast. That's what makes them right. enjoyable. You know, is their absence and then you have it back again. So I, I think that, I think you're right when you say the number one challenge is that people don't know what they're missing, actually. Yeah, they don't. They no longer remember. In fact, we've replaced all the lights uh, in the sky, the stars, with lights all around us that mean nothing. And hmm. so I think, you know, I my dream is that uh, on the winter solstice, we'll all turn off the lights and remember i'd like to start that we have like the darkest night of the year in the northern hemisphere we all keep the lights out and um just a, a moment to remember and i think moments like that could actually help to bring the education that's needed to most people in 2003 august 2003 there was a blackout in all of Ontario, Michigan, and Ohio. Do you remember that? For three days. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I remember my, my, my wife was pregnant with my first daughter. And I remember us talking. I remember vividly because I remember us talking like, what if you go into labor while they're oh, and they were like, oh, yeah, they have generators at the hospital. Everything's okay. You mm -hmm. know, they've prepared for that. So it's okay. And people gave birth before without hospitals. So right. maybe it'd yeah. be okay. You know, yeah. and by the way, my fourth daughter was born at home in the bathtub. Uh, my fourth child, my third daughter mm -hmm. was born at home in the bathtub. So you can do it. Wow. Uh, I'm not encouraged. I'm not saying anything to the ladies out there. You guys do your thing. But there was a party in Toronto and there wasn't a whole bunch mm -hmm. of crime, actually. People were mm -hmm. setting up batteries and playing, you know, music on the street and partying and having a good time. And you could see the stars like it was unbelievable, actually. And it was one night mm -hmm. that was particularly beautiful. I'll never forget it. And we were walking. I was walking with my wife. She's big and pregnant. We're walking down the street. And I'm like, this is crazy. This is not Toronto. You know, like I remember it. That's a moment I remember. And it's like, this is the, uh, you yeah. know, this is for the, this is for the wilderness. But it actually isn't. Those stars look down on Toronto as much as they look down on forests in Northern Canada. Yeah. They're just blinded by the light. Yep. Absolutely. People just don't know anymore. Yeah. Um, Mike, I have a surprise for you. What's that? Do you remember this? Yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. I have to tell you this story because this got sent to my, this is a book for all the, um, the listeners. Um, <laughs> this is a book that I received in the mail, but it was sent to our headquarters in Sandwich, Massachusetts. So, I did not get this for a long time after. And I opened it up and it's this children's book, which says there's no such thing as a dragon. That's the title. Best and there's a post-it on it, unsigned post-it. It says, Jane, light pollution is the dragon everyone is ignoring. I even, I was so confused because I was very moved by whomever had sent this. But I had no idea who because it had been so long. And I even saved this as the clue, which this is the envelope that the 
Oh, um, yeah. Book was sent in. <laughs> because I was like, I'm going to figure out who sent this to me one day or another. So a couple of weeks ago, I, I dug up our original interview, which was done at the IS 2019 conference in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And that's where we met. And that's, you know, really what sparked all of this here and now. And the, I listened to that interview another time and you mentioned the book. And I finally put two and two together that you were the person who sent me that book. And so thank you, finally, once and for all, for sending me this book. I was, it's, this has been on my desk for months <laughs> trying to figure out who, who gave me this. Because I thought whoever did this really understands what, I, what I'm trying to convey here. And so thank you. Thank you for hearing my message. Well, you had a big impact on me when I met you right away. And we both, we've talked about it before. It was just like, a, there was like a, there was like a, uh, two stars collide in terms of, in, in, I don't know, intellectually or um, maybe intellectually, intellectually, not like true intellect, not intelligence, but intellect collided yeah. with each other. Yeah. And it was, there was a bit of an explosion there. But I, I always, I remember reading that book when I was a kid, you know, there's no such thing as a dragon. And, you know, you there. We live that way so often, you know, and you can't kill all the dragons. You can't get rid of them. But in that book, when the when the dragon is run, literally running away with their house, mm-hmm. like how many times has that happened in people's lives? Right, where yeah. you're mar- you're in a marriage and you're not dealing with the issues. Somebody's pretending the alcoholism doesn't doesn't exist, or the depression doesn't exist. Right. Or the dark sky problem is not real. That's not real pollution. That's a metaphor. No, it's not. It's pollution. Period. End of the story. Right. And people pretend like they can't see the dragon and the dragon starts eating their breakfast. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's such a wonderful, wonderful, like I can't even remember the name of the author off the top of my head, but I always felt like that story is so true. And then as soon as you say, yeah, I believe in dragons, all of a sudden the dragon shrinks. Right. And then mm-hmm. you say, I believe, and the dragon shrinks down. And then maybe you still have a dragon, but it's a manageable sized dragon. Right? right. Because you're addressing the problem. So the first thing, yeah. oh, that's such a wonderful surprise. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> I, I, I often forget to sign things. Eh? I expect I people had, no, to intrinsically clue. know. I know. I know. It happens to me all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, time. I was like, this person really cares and I appreciated it so much, <laughs> but I'm like, I don't know who that was. <laughs> uh, and then you see the little yeah. address on there, right? Okay. I tried looking up the address. I mean, I did a little gumshoes work, but I wasn't able to figure it out. So, Well, yeah. that's the first episode of Starting for Darkness, Jane. Yep. Yeah. Look forward to this. I think it's going to be, I think we're going to go on a, a really special journey here and um, we got we, as you've seen from what the work we've been doing and folks listening to this, uh, hopefully that work has come to fruition, but we're trying to get a lot of people on board with this initiative. And mm-hmm. um, we hope that Starving for Darkness is, is the start. It's a place to start. Yeah. yeah. And if people know, we already know how to solve it. Mm-hmm. It's just that people don't know. Mm-hmm. So by speaking about it and speaking to people and connecting people on the topic. I hope that awareness is enough to get people to flick off the light. Jane, 
this is the first one. We're going to do two in the first month of February and then one a week after that. So I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. We're hungry for darkness. We're starving for darkness. That's what the show's about. It's brought to you by our friends at Rab Lighting. Go to R-A-B-L-I-G-H-T-I-N-G forward slash dark sky, Greg. That's right. And they're going to satisfy your hunger because they've got all the fixtures you need to make it dark sky compliant. They've been committed to the issue for years. They've been around for 75 years. Absolutely. Every fixture you can imagine on the exterior, Rab has, and probably the best one out there uh, in every category. And they have the interior covered. Lamps, fixtures, retrofit kits, recessed cans, everything. So Rab's a complete lighting company. They're committed to dark sky. They've been around for 75 years, and they have the best control system in the game. Yeah. Light cloud. Ooh. Everything can be controlled remotely from the light cloud. What a good name. What a good product. They got it all covered. Like whoever came up with that name is a marketing genius, actually. Light cloud. That's exactly what it is. It's a cloud and it's the heart of the dark sky movement. Light cloud. Which is why you got to go to R-A-B-L-I-G-H-T-I-N-G.com forward slash dark sky. Go there right now, folks. Because we're all hungry, we're all starving. It's time. This is a this is a a an environmental movement that we know how to fix. We know what to do. We just got to bring that light cloud in. Yeah, R A B L I G H T I N G dot com forward slash dark sky. And if you've made it this far already, I know I speak on behalf of myself and Jane and Greg and everybody at Get a Grip Management, Get a Grip Studios, the producer Scott Walker and the producer Scott Griffin. Yeah, there's two Scotts. And Bree in the office, folks, uh, all our colleagues listening to this, nothing but love for you. Bye for now.